this is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, our weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea, where we look at how we've been covering events in the South China Sea at RFA and Banar News. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long. How's it going, Drake? Good. Now, last week, the United States Navy caused a stir by deploying two aircraft carriers in the South China Sea. This week, it was the turn of the State Department to make waves. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo issued a statement declaring China's claims to offshore resources across most of the South China Sea to be, quote, completely unlawful. That marked a shift in the U.S. stance on maritime disputes in the South China Sea and a further hardening of the Trump administration's rhetoric against Beijing, which had accused of treating the South China Sea like its, quote, maritime empire. The strong stuff. And it came as US-China relations continued to deteriorate in other ways. The Trump administration was reported to be considering visa bans against all members of the Chinese Communist Party. And the president signed into law the removal of Hong Kong's special status and trade privileges. Now, that's quite a lot to think about. So, Drake, can you focus on this statement from Pompeo? Is it a big deal? Yes, it is a big deal. At least I'd say so. Although perhaps not as big as some people were hoping for. So prior to this announcement, the USA's position on territorial disputes in the South China Sea was we don't take a position. We don't have sides. Uh, We're not going to take Vietnam side, China side, the Philippine side whatsoever. We're not going to discuss the sovereignty of these various competing claims in the South China Sea. They kind of stayed out of it. What Pompeo did on Monday was he came forward and said, no, we are going to start taking a side to it, or at least to some parts of the South China Sea dispute. We now view China's maritime claims over exclusive economic zones in the South China Sea, the maritime entitlements around land features in the South China Sea. We now view those as illegal. And we view China's claims to certain features like Mischief Reef, Second Thomas Reef, Scarborough Reef, and uh, James Shoal as completely illegal. So the thing with all those features is that they're completely submerged underwater. So you have the State Department saying the new U.S. position is we view Chinese maritime claims as illegal. We view Chinese claims to submerged features as illegal, but they're still not taking a position on any land features that are uh, above the water at high tide. So they're not really changing their entire South China Sea policy, but they're changing some very narrow targeted parts of it. Now, in recent weeks, we've talked quite a lot about China sort of intimidating Southeast Asian nations, exploring uh, waters off their coast for oil and other resources. Do you think that this um, statement from the United States was kind of motivated by responding to these events? Yeah, almost definitely. So we have this pattern of China harassing international oil companies and fishermen out of waters in the exclusive economic zones of other Southeast Asian countries. The exclusive economic zone is a 200 nautical mile maritime limit from your coast. You have rights to oil, gas, fish, whatever you want in that area. The problem is that China claims that its territorial claims in the South China Sea entitle it to other countries' exclusive economic zones. That's kind of what is the issue here. And now the State Department is coming forward and saying, you know, we view the excuses China makes to have access to other countries' exclusive economic zones and claim them as their own under historic rights, under exclusive economic zone projections from different rocks and reefs in the South China Sea. We view those as illegal. So this is definitely about China's harassment of international companies and various kinds of economic actors 
in those waters. It's about Southeast Asian countries having the right to their own resources. The State Department statement even explicitly makes that clear. They say, you know, the resources of the South China Sea are the livelihood of Southeast Asia. It is their generational lifeblood. It is the inheritance of their grandchildren, what have you. It's important for the livelihood of coastal communities. So they're specifically positioning themselves as we are going to be the sort of safeguard. We're going to support Southeast Asian countries in exploiting their own resources. I mean, in the statement, they actually make some pretty sharp points. I, I see that they pointed out that James Shoal is 1,000 nautical miles from China's coast, China claims it, but it's only 50 nautical miles from Malaysia. So, you know, when you present it in those terms, it's pretty striking. So how did Southeast Asian nations, including Malaysia, react to this U.S. statement? It was somewhat mixed. Um, I'll start with Malaysia. Malaysia's foreign minister this week basically said, we kind of... Maybe we appreciate the U.S. changing its position on this, but ultimately we want less warships in the South China Sea in general. We don't want China to escalate the situation, and we don't want the U.S. to escalate the situation either. This is pretty typical for Malaysia's foreign statements on this issue. They're very much like both sides are contributing to instability in the South China Sea. We want both of you to calm down. It's not that unusual. Other countries, Vietnam, gave a very measured response where they basically said, you know, we welcome the U.S. shift in policy, but they never named China in their statement. So they didn't want to call out China specifically. The Philippines had the most fast response, I would say. The defense secretary immediately signaled his support for the change in U.S. policy. But then the foreign secretary of the Philippines, Theodore Luxon Jr., met with his Chinese counterpart, I think the, the very next day, actually. And they almost definitely discussed the issue there. Um, I would say that there's probably a lot of positivity about the change in the region, but a lot of the public statements are very measured. I think perhaps the kind of support that the State Department was hoping for didn't materialize or didn't materialize yet. But I mean, that's pretty typical for ASEAN, Southeast Asian countries. You know, there's a very cautious kind of messaging game going on. Do you get any sense that the U.S. is going to change the way it conducts itself in the South China Sea because of this statement? Is this going to change what the U.S. is doing day to day? Day to day, I don't necessarily think so. My gut instinct is no. This week after the announcement, you had a U.S. freedom of navigation exercise in the Spratleys. That seemed to coincide with the statement. You have dual carrier exercises with the U.S. in the South China Sea right now. But I mean, the U.S.A. was doing all of that previously. And even if they hadn't made that announcement Monday, they'd probably still be doing that stuff anyway. What this is really changing is it is changing the U.S. diplomatic approach, the rhetorical approach to the South China Sea issue, to where it is explicitly saying China's actions are illegal. They are in contravene to international law, which we now cite as like our reasoning for why we're worried about China's behavior in the area. And I think that's actually significant because what it's doing, and the statement from Monday even explicitly cites this, it is aligning the U.S. position with the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration Award. That tribunal concerned China's claims in the South China Sea and ruled ultimately in favor of the Philippines, finding that pretty much all of China's claims, the legal bases to its claims, every way that China justifies its massive maritime grab in Southeast Asia is illegal. So the USA, four years later, is now signaling uh, we're going to use the language of the Permanent Court of Arbitration Award more often in our arguments against China's claims here. So how did China react? 
Not well. I mean, about as well as I think anybody expected them to. They made the point immediately after the statement. They said, you know, the U.S. accuses us of acting illegally and not caring about international law, but we signed and ratified the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea that sets all this stuff down. And the U.S. didn't. They made that point very clear. And that's true. The U.S. has not actually ratified the international law that it's citing here for why China's claims are illegal. The Convention on the Law of the Sea was what the 2016 PCA was all about. And the U.S. using the language of that ruling, that award, is a little bit ironic given that we never actually ratified the treaty that it's based off of. So China has a point there. But then again, you know, China's basically saying, well, you never signed this treaty that we don't care about or acknowledge anyway, so who are you to judge us? I mean, it's a little bit of both sides-ism. It, it, I don't think it's really helpful. So what's happening at sea right now? So right now, you have a U.S. dual carrier exercise with the Nimitz and the Ronald Reagan. It's the continuation of what they started earlier in the month. They've been exercising since the 4th. They took a break from the 10th to the 14th, and now they're back in the South China Sea exercising. The bigger development is just today, the day of this podcast recording, actually, China deployed eight fighter jets to Woody Island, the most that I've ever seen in my time watching the area. Woody Island is China's major military base in the Paracels in the north part of the South China Sea. And among those eight fighter jets, four of them appear to actually be anti-ship fighter bombers, which is a pretty provocative statement to make. When you have USN ships, you know, right nearby and you have US phone ops happening at the same time, sending in any sort of anti-ship plane or fighter aircraft is a, it's definitely a show of something. Do you think this could feed into fears from countries in the region that, that China might declare an ADIS, a, an air defense identification zone in the South China Sea? I think that would feed some of the fears, but the reality is that that's always been based on rumors and even with these eight jets, China can't enforce an ADIZ over the South China Sea. We've covered this before in previous episodes, but it's just really not feasible. I think it feeds bigger fears among Southeast Asian countries that the military posturing of China and the USA is getting a little bit out of control. And I think it also confirms the worst fears, which has been predicted for a while, of a lot of Southeast Asian countries that China intends to fully militarize its bases in the South China Sea and permanently station fighter aircraft and fighter bombers there. Is there anything in particular you're watching out for next week? Well, I'm watching the reaction to this deployment of aircraft. I can tell you that much. Like I said, it's the most I've ever seen on Woody Island. Um, and Woody Island, the paracels that it's in, is claimed by Taiwan and Vietnam as well. So they have to make some type of statement on this. I'm also waiting to see, you know, on Tuesday at the Center for Strategic International Studies annual South China Sea Conference, Assistant Secretary David Stilwell, who's in charge of East Asian Pacific Affairs, kind of clarified some parts of Pompeo's statement and then also signaled some action that the USA is thinking about. He said, you know, we might even consider sanctions on Chinese companies that operate in the South China Sea, which makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, CNUC, the China National Offshore Oil Company, was involved in the 2014 oil rig incident with Vietnam. A lot of these state-owned enterprises in China are involved in pushing China's claims in the South China Sea and creating this maritime empire, the, the uh, State Department calls it. So I think that if the U.S. actually moves forward on sanctions on those companies, that's definitely something to watch out for. Yeah, I don't know how quickly they're going to turn around sanctions on this sort of thing. I mean, there's been a lot of economic restrictions that the, the U.S. has been imposing on China recently. Yeah, but I think that, if anything, the Monday ruling opens that door. It's a very narrow, but it's not necessarily limited change in South China Sea policy. It's opening the door to further action. It's saying, you know, 
we're taking a legal approach now. Legally, we now feel more justified in applying sanctions to these companies. So it's a very limited kind of shift, or it's a very narrow kind of shift, I should say. But actually, it, it's kind of the first step towards a broader rearrangement of how the U.S. approaches the South China Sea issue. That's an excellent point. Well, Drake, thank you very much for walking us through Pompeo's statement and dissecting it and its possible ramifications. And congratulations to you for breaking the story about those eight Chinese fighter jets. Oh, thanks. For those of you listening, if you've got any questions or feedback, please email us on South China Sea. It's all one word at rfa.org or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is drm underscore long. And please check out Drake's previous articles on all these topics about South China Sea at rfa.org and bananews.org. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banar News. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again. 